May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul wrote one of the greatest letters from a Roman jail cell. What did he have to say? And what does this letter teach us about the job of being a disciple today? That is just an amazing, fantastic story. The prayer for all of us here is that we would all be able to tell our story, that we would all have a faith story. I don't know whether you're here as someone that is very strong in your faith, whether you're here as someone that's exploring faith, whether your faith has taken some bashes and knocks along the way and you're trying to repair your faith, but by the end of this evening, we want each one of us to take a step forward in our faith. This message, this third part of Philippians series is a difficult one for me to do and I was just thinking about it in the last few days thinking, how am I going to do this? How, how do I do this preach? This might just be the hardest preach that I've given. It might end up being the worst preach that I've given at Metro because what we're going to see in this passage is something that was happening with Paul when he wrote this chapter, the third chapter of the letter to Philippians because suddenly he moves from teaching and theology and stuff that will make your brain expand and will add to your experience. He moves from that and he gets really, really personal. And tonight I want to get really, really personal. And I want to speak about something which is in this chapter. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Philippians 3.10. It's a verse that had a bigger impact on me than any other single verse in Scripture. And what I can only do is I can only just share a little bit of what I feel and, and try to go for inspiration. So tonight, if you're looking for in-depth exposition and teaching and unpacking of the scriptures, it's not going to be that kind of a message. What it's going to be is it's going to be a heart-to-heart, just you and me, whether you're watching this or you're in the room. This is my heart to your heart. What will your story be? What will your faith be about? What is really the heart of your Christian experience? The um, book that we've been looking at, just to catch you up with, Philippians, uh, you heard the kind of the main theme which starts our trailer. It's the first couple of verses. And basically what Paul is talking about in this book, he's talking about the promotion of the gospel. He says, I thank God for your partnership in sharing the good news. But it's not just promoting the good news, it's also progressing in the faith. These two go together. The more you progress in your faith, the more the good news looks like good news. Last week with chapter 2, we looked at the fact that you, you can't do Christianity on your own. You can't do your faith journey on your own. You actually need others, so you need others. But more than just needing others to help you and to encourage you, you need to value others above you. And that's the Christ way. There is no faith without the body of Christ. There is no churchless Christianity. You can only get so much by consuming content, by doing it all on your own terms. And that goes against the grain. 
Because we live in a culture that says, it's all about you. You do you. What's your truth? What's your path? What works for you? What is your individual experience? What is your individual journey? And yet the Bible says it doesn't work like that when you're a faith-filled Christ follower. It is all about how you relate to others. You can't love without others. You can't serve without others. You can't be like Jesus without others. So you need others. But now Paul, he changes tack in this third chapter. And you've got to remember, he is writing a personal letter. He doesn't think he's writing the Bible. He just thinks he's writing a letter to some friends. They had a journey that started 10 years ago when three people came to fight faith in that Roman uh, occupied colony in northern Greece. And he writes to them and he says, this is my heart. Yes, you need others. Yes, Christianity is corporate. But unless you have your own faith, unless you have your own relationship with Jesus, you're missing out on the very heart of it. And it begins to get at this question. And this is a question that I want to ask every single one of you. And that's this. Where do you get your identity? Where do you get your identity from? Right now, in this culture, in this nation, in our world, with this generation in particular, we are suffering an identity crisis. Because if you ask yourself the question, where do I get my identity from? You ask that of any random person in the street, you'll get a mixture of responses. People will say, well, I get my identity from the people that love me. I'm in a loving family and they they give me my identity. Or it might be that people say, I get my identity because I'm a banker, I am an engineer, I am a doctor, uh, I am working class, I am whatever you may be, I work in a call centre, it's not the ideal thing for many people, but it's what, it gives me my identity. Or there's a group of people, a friendship group. And we can get our identity from all these kinds of external things. You can get your identity from how you look, you look good, or you're young. But the crisis of identity comes when these things are challenged. How many of you, just how many of you here this evening or watching online, how many of you have had your identity challenged by COVID? Because if you had your identity in work, suddenly work is just, it's not stable, it's not secure anymore. Maybe you lost a job, maybe you couldn't get a job, or maybe your job just, your job just wasn't as fun as it was, and you're beginning to wonder whether it will ever be as much fun ever again. You don't know whether you're working from home or living at work. That buzz of being with other people, the banter, the water cooler, all that stuff is just replaced by your laptop on the bed. And work suddenly becomes a less stable source of identity. We We feel this identity crisis because COVID comes and it says those things that gave you your identity, they can be taken in a split second. And there's not a single one of us that doesn't know down to our bones that what has happened over the last 18 months could easily happen again next year, five years down the line. Next month, 18 years down the line, suddenly all our security has gone. Because what gives you your identity is what gives you confidence. Everyone say confidence. It's like as people, we have two columns 
In the positive column, all the things that I get my identity from that reinforce that I have uh, worth, that I have value. So I put my confidence in those things. I am good looking. I have a great boyfriend. I have a great girlfriend. I have a fantastic family, marriage, spouse, kid, job, car, fridge, PlayStation 5, book of... book. I don't know. Maybe the book one, not so much. But we put all these things in the plus column. On the negative column, I am not as good looking as I wish that I was. I don't have as many friends as I wish that I do. I'm not as smart as the people that I look up to. Money's too tight to mention. We have these minus columns. And if your plus column is bigger than your minus column, then you feel good about yourself and you have a sense of value and worth and you can hold your head up high. But when the plus column gets affected, when it's COVID afflicted, suddenly the minus column is so much bigger and you begin to think, well, maybe I'm not so good. Anxiety on the increase, depression on the increase. People wondering about my place in the world. Now, if you find yourself in the position where you have a lot of things in the plus column, then you can feel confident. And Paul, when he talks about himself, he's getting into all this stuff and all this teaching for this Philippian church. Then he said, do you know what? I had an amazing plus column. For my day, for my culture, for my context, I was absolutely up there. But even the person with the best set of column plus factors figures out that it is in itself not enough for a significant, fruitful, meaningful, flourishing human experience. And so he says this, this is his words. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So his plus column was all about the flesh. Now that's not, I'm too sexy for my shirt. That's basically his physical characteristics. And as a Jew, who you were descended from, what your racial mix, makeup was, uh, what your family line was, that was ultra important in that day. Massive plus column. He says, I've got confidence in the flesh. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe. Most people can't even tell what tribe they're from. I can directly trace my lineage right down to Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul is just giving his heart. He says, this is who I am and this is who I was. I used to get my identity from my racial identity and from my religious identity. I lived in a very... Uh, it is, it's hard to say. It's very different to the kind of society that we live in. But who you are and who your father was and who your family line can be traced back to, incredibly important. And then religious observance. Most people would look at themselves and say, I'm a sinner, I, I break the law. Paul could look at himself and say, I am faultless as regard to the law, religious, religious law, hand on heart. I never did anything. I never broke any single law. He was a Pharisee. He was so 
passionate about the faith of the Jews that he persecuted the church. If you don't know about Christianity, this might be a surprise to you, but Christianity was not spread by a bunch of wide-eyed, gullible cult members who had bought into a hook, line, and sinker. Christianity is promoted and pushed. It is spread around the known world by those that persecuted the church, those that were passionately against the church. Paul was vehemently against the Christian faith. He thought it was wrong. He thought it was dangerous. He thought it was punishable by death. And he did everything in his power to stamp out this thing. There's no reason in the world that Christianity had any right surviving the first century because people were madly passionate about stopping it by any means possible. He persecuted the church. He said, this is me. I was so hooked up on my identity, racially, religiously, that I went against everyone else that didn't fit up to that bill. It's a bit like we have today. I saw someone walking down the street just a couple days ago. They were wearing a t-shirt. Their t-shirt said, anti-woke. I wanted to stop them in the street and said, what do you mean? What do you mean, anti-woke? What's the opposite of woke? Asleep? What is your point? Why are you defining yourself by what you are against? If you don't like someone, fine. But your identity is so strongly wrapped up in one thing that you promote the fact that you're against everything that's not like you. That's why we have nationalism, racism. That's why we have, okay, boomer, conflict between the generations. Because our identity is so wrapped up in who we are that we have to be implacably opposed to those who we are not. Paul was like that. He said, I had a massive plus column. People would kill to be anything like me, a Pharisee, one of the most respected members of my whole nation, and a Pharisee beyond repair, above repute, beyond reproach, someone that was so far head and shoulders above everybody else, and it all changed. He says, this is not an identity that is befitting of me, and he found something else to live for. He says this, but, Whatever were gains, whatever was in the plus column to me, I now consider loss, though now in the minus column. For the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul says, I found something so good. I found something of surpassing worth. And then he goes on, and he, remember, he's talking to friends. Cut the man some slack for what he's about to do. He doesn't realize that he's writing the Bible. He doesn't realize that this is going to be copied hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and millions of times. It's going to be read and poured over for centuries to come. Cut the man some slack. Give him a little bit of leeway. He doesn't realize that what he's about to do is going to cause a little bit of a stink. All he wants to do is he just wants to emphasize in the most bold way possible just how surpassingly great it is to know Christ, his Lord, for whose sake he's lost all things. Why that's so much greater than anything else. He, he uses a comparison. He says this, I consider them garbage. Everyone say garbage. garbage. 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, that identity stuff, or that plus column stuff, whether it's my big brain, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I'm descended from the tribe of Benjamin, I am legalistically faultless. All that plus stuff, I believe the right things, I'm in with the right crowd, I have the right connections, all that plus stuff. He says, compared with the surpassing glory, the wonder, the power, the awesomeness of knowing Christ Jesus, I consider that stuff garbage. Now, the Bible that we have is a translation of what was written originally. And what was written in the original Greek for the word garbage is the Greek word skubalon. Everyone say skubalon. Skubalon. Now, again, cut him some slack. He only ever uses this word once. But skubalon is the Greek word for shit. I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry mum, dad, watching online. I'm thinking, and I asked the guy, should I say it, or should I say like shiitake mushrooms and be all coy about it? Or, you know, it, it's a bunch of steaming doo-doo. But Paul says, it's like he's talking with friends, but he wants them to know that this is rightfully shocking. Because sometimes the stuff that's in front of our face, sometimes that plus column stuff, it just dominates. We think so much about the money in our bank account. We think about the group of friends that we've got. We think about the job that we've got or the degree that we're doing. We think about where we live. We think about how great our circumstances are. And it is so much in front of our faces that it takes, it, it just seeps in. And even if you have a gentle and sensitive spirit and you want to know about spiritual things, this stuff shouts the loudest. And Paul says, let me wake you up. Compared with Christ, all this other stuff. It's not that it's bad. It's not that it's inherently wrong or evil. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, compared with the surpassing wonder and glory of knowing Christ Jesus, all that other stuff, it's a steaming pile of scubalon. Scooby-doo-doo. It is worthless. It's disgusting. It's so much more outpaced. And then he says the line. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. In other words, my identity is that I am in Christ and I have gained Christ. I found him and I am in him. God sees me. He sees Jesus. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My life is hidden with Christ in God. My identity is in Christ. Christ Jesus died and rose again and somehow mystically, mysteriously, I have been crucified with Christ and risen again to new life. Every part of me that is valuable and worthwhile is in Christ, defined by Christ, known by Christ, and I have gained Christ. 
And I have a righteousness not of my own man-made, I'm so great, look at me, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, but a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then here it comes, the verse that changed my life when I was a teenage Christian. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And it's like the whole letter just suddenly goes into freeze frame. From slow motion down, I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection. The fellowship, the partnership, it's that word again, koinonia, the, the, the close-knit community, the, 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 the incredible unspoken bond of people that know what it's like to suffer and struggle in the str- strugglings of Jesus. When I was a Christian, I very much, when I was a Christian, when I was a, a young believer growing up, very much identified with what Emily had to say in her story. Come from a, a background where my parents were the most amazing uh, believers I, I ever saw, and I saw the power of God in their lives, so much so that I pretty much, I had to become a Christian because I'd seen it demonstrated in front of my face. But growing up and having a kind of struggle, like Emily says, is it my faith or is it a faith that I inherited? Is it a faith that is based on things that have happened to people that I respect, love, and admire? Or do I have anything of myself? And some of you, you ask in that very same question. Yes, I intellectually believe it. Yes, I've been brought up with it and I figure that it, it feels true. Yes, I think it's the most reasonable way of looking at the cosmos. But what about me? And I remember reading and hearing this verse, I want to know Christ. And it was like something changed inside of me. Something was ignited inside of me that has never gone out. And with Paul, I began to feel that upward calling of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Emily talked about a whole bunch of things that she does in response to that kind of desire. She talks about reading scripture. She talks about praying. She talks about having someone that is accountable. She's accountable for for what she's doing in terms of her spiritual devotions and disciplines. My problem is, whenever we talk about that kind of stuff, it sounds like we're hectoring you or nagging you or giving you a bunch of religious rules and regulations to follow. And what really is the key to it all is having a heart inside of you, getting that light bulb moment where you think, oh my goodness, I could know Christ. God who became flesh, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. And that desire within me that I could know the God of the universe, I could be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from religious practice, but having the true, real deal. And I remember I, I, um, I was 19 years old. I went, I was doing a kind of gap year. What it was, was a, my first year of ministry, I was part of a team going around working with churches. And I remember visiting this one church in the Midlands. They sent us out during the day. We would talk to kids on the streets and we would pray with them. But I remember there was this burning desire within me. 
I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Not religion, not form and structure, not organized faith and spirituality by second hand. I want to know Christ for myself. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I remember waking up every morning early, setting my alarm early. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Crying out to God every morning in the dark hours, just before God on my face, flat on the floor. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. We started to see miracles happening, miracles happening on the streets. After that week, we had a whole pocket full of stories of what God had done, the power of the resurrection. I'd seen, I remember one kid, I prayed for him. I said, what's your issue? He said, asthma. Okay, we prayed in the name of Jesus. Do you feel different? I kind of do. Run back to that lamppost and then come back to me. Ran, got back. How was it? Yeah, this is just weird. And then more and more people were coming. And so the next week I was at a big Christian conference called Spring Harvest. I was there just to do the stewarding. In other words, helping people standing at the door, welcome team, that kind of jazz, putting out chairs. But we told the team what had happened and they pulled me up on stage and I told the stories. And then afterwards they were having a time of ministry and prayer. And because I told stories about healing, a guy came up to me. He said, Philip, will you pray for me? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection. Yes, I'll pray for you. What's your issue? He says, I'm, I'm deaf. She says, you seem to have no problem hearing me. He says, yeah, I'm deaf in one ear. I'm deaf in my left ear. Since birth, I've got a perfect ear, but the, 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 the nerve doesn't connect. Never has and never will. Will you pray for me? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. I said, yeah, I'll pray. A few of my friends, we all gather around. I got, got like, I, I, I'm not my depth. You know, ask her, maybe she's just, just having a good day. But death is death. So I pull in some of the big guns. Pray with me, pray with me. We're praying, we're praying. And uh, would whisper in his ear, can you hear anything? And he would just carry on praying. So we'd whisper in the other ear, could you hear? No, cannot hear anything. And we've been praying for five minutes, 10 minutes. Nothing's happening. And I'm just saying, God, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Don't want to just read about it. Don't want to just be told about it. Don't want to experience it secondhand. I want to know Christ. Don't understand all the Greek in scripture. Don't fathom all the mysteries of the Bible. But I do know that I want to know Christ. And if I can be found in him, if I could gain him, if I could know even the minutest part of Jesus Christ, I would give my whole life for that. To know the power of the resurrection. The resurrection that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and changed the face of what it means to be human forever. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. Lord God, would you do a miracle? A voice comes into my head because I've been just cultivating the presence of Jesus. Those dark mornings, those mornings on my face, those mornings crying out, those mornings just giving God time and space, those mornings just crying out, Jesus, 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 come close. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, make me open to you. Jesus, forgive me and purify me from everything that holds me back from your presence. And I recognize the voice because I've become attuned to it. And the voice says, click your fingers. I'm 19 years old. I'm at a big Christian conference in Wales. I'm like, ah, 
I can't click my fingers. That just sounds so irreverent. And I, I kind of just debate with myself, can I really do that? And then I have an idea. I'll just click my fingers like I'm emphasizing a point. And so I say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the moment that I click my fingers, his head spins around. He says, I heard that. Heard what? You clicked your fingers. I said, yeah. I whisper into his ear, Jesus has healed me. He says, Jesus has healed me. We were just blown away. It was at the start of the week, and so that guy was able to tell his story, the number of people whose lives were changed. And since then, I've seen great things, and then I've gone for periods where I haven't seen much at all. But the heart, the passion, which is why this message is so simple, has never dimmed and it's never left me. And it's what I want you to begin to ask God to give to you. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. So why do I give myself to spiritual discipline? And why do I rise up early in the morning? And why do I memorize scripture? Why do I take myself up away on spiritual retreat? Because everything in the plus column is like shit compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Sure, it's good and to be enjoyed and I'm not putting it down. I'm glad that I have a nice house. I'm glad that I have clothes. I'm glad that I have good health and uh, all these things that are blessings in my life. But compared with Jesus, I would lose them all in a heartbeat. I would. Just compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so Paul goes on. He says, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Everyone say press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Paul says, yesterday, the highs, the lows, I just put it behind me because I am moving forward. This is what it means to progress in your faith. It means that you know Jesus and you love Jesus significantly more than you did a year ago, six months ago, five years ago. It means that if you're just on the edges and the margins of faith that you have something to look for. It means that when you give your life to Jesus, that isn't coming to the finish line, that's coming to the start line. And like Paul, the greatest proponent of the Christian faith that there has ever been, arguably, he says, I've not arrived. I'm still getting there. I'm pressing on. Why? I want to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. It's like tag where you both tag one another at the same time. You say, Paul, how can you take hold of Jesus when he's already taken hold of you? Don't you just relax because he's taken hold of you? No, there's something about him that's pulling me forward to take hold of him more. There's more to experience. There's more depth in your Christian life and Christian experience to enjoy, to press into, to press forward towards. So here's a question for us. How will you press on? How will you press on? Some of you are thinking, oh, Philip, man, it's a nice story, but it's a bit intense. I don't know. Faith is just part of my life. 
It's really interesting when Emily was talking, she said, you know, I, I, I don't want my Christian identity to, to overtake everything else, all my other identities that's also important to me. I've got the, the Christian pot and I've got all the other pots in my life. And then she said, and then I realized, actually that's the perfect thing if my Christian identity is my defining identity and all the other pots fit within that. And you may say, well, I, I don't want the Christian bit of my life to get over, you know, I, I like coming to church, you know, from time to time, I come probably more than most people do, I'm a good person. And it seems a bit intense. But Paul says, yeah, but think about this. There's a prize, and it's eternity, and it's the resurrection of the dead. And I'm gonna spend the age of the, and the life to come knowing something which is far outside of my present capacity to comprehend it. And so yes, I will press on and yes, I will move towards it because somehow, somewhere, there is a, uh, a prize to latch onto and the prize is Jesus himself. So for some of you, it's about developing your secret history with God. It's about saying, I am going to give time. Would it be hard yeah, it would not necessarily be easy. But even just a commitment this evening that you make for yourself, to yourself, hey, I'm gonna get up, be it just half an hour earlier than normal. Because my job is great, my friends are great, my life is great, and the holidays are great, and the sunshine is great, but the surpassing greatness and wonder of knowing Jesus, it trumps everything. So I'm gonna delve into my secret history. I'm gonna have prayers. I love what Emily said about writing down prayers. She found her own spirituality. She found her own way of doing faith. For some of you, is it a, a spiritual retreat that you could take over these summer months? I used to lock myself up in my room and uh, when I couldn't go anywhere, now I've got rich friends and I go to millionaires' houses in Cornwall and Wales and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm a pretty big deal and people let me have their houses. I can go on spiritual retreats. Back in the day, I just had to barricade myself into my bedroom. I was self-isolating before it became cool. But I would pray and I would cry out to God and I would give time, time and I would fast and deny myself and, and just be on retreat. Holy God, Spirit of the Lord Jesus, speak to me, lead me, reveal yourself to me. I only have one life. I only have a few years on this dust bowl planet. Reveal yourself to me. And for some of you, this summer gives you the perfect opportunity to go and give a little bit of time to spiritual retreat. I was only kidding about the rich people, um, although it's true. Uh, but uh, you know, you can, you can find... You, you can go to convents and monasteries or Christian retreat centers or you can go on the downs or you, one time I, I just did an Airbnb in, in the Brecon Beacons. Just one night, walked around through the woods. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I don't know you enough. I don't know you nearly enough. I want to dedicate my whole life to knowing you. You could take a spiritual retreat. Or for some of you, it's, it's mentoring. It's actually finding someone, like Emily said, just she said, I held myself accountable to someone else for my spiritual progression, for reading scripture. And uh, you know that we have our mentoring app, our mentoring program, and, and that's something that we're really big on because we do need each other. We need others to do our spirituality. So what I wanna do is I wanna pray, and I want us to worship, but I want us to take some time in the quiet moments for each one of us. Like I told you, this is, this is a funny message because how else do you preach about the passion that is in another human heart 
apart from share your own and just talk about what that might mean for you. But I want you to make it a good preach. I want you to complete the circle. I want you to finish this off. I want you to land the plane, to, to bring it to a conclusion by saying to yourself, this is what I am going to do. This is what pressing on looks like for me. Here's our big idea. The greatest goal in life is to gain Christ and be found in him. Nothing compares with knowing Jesus and his resurrection power. So every believer should press on tirelessly towards this goal. Let's pray.